Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. My guests today are Pepsi and Shirley. Pepsi, DeMarc Croquette and Shirley Kemp are best known as members of the Phenomenon Wham, alongside George Michael and Andrew Ridgely, and as their own pop duo in the 80s with hits such as Heartache and Goodbye Stranger. The duo were raised in different parts of London, coming from big working class families, and had one more thing in common. They shared a love for music and dreamt of bigger things. Little did they know the huge role they would play in the musical landscape of the 80s. Still featuring on our screens today in classic videos such as Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go and Last Christmas. With a friendship spanning over 35 years, the girls have now been inspired to put their memories into a book. It's all in black and white. Reminiscing on their time in the spotlight, on and off stage, the highs of Wham to the lows of unimaginable loss and everything in between, and is now available in all good bookshops. Shirley lives in England with her husband Martin Kemp and dogs, whilst Pepsi now lives in St Lucia with her husband James. This iconic duo have come together for a rare podcast interview to chat all about the moments and decisions that have shaped the course of their lives. So welcome to the podcast, Pepsi and Shirley. Oh, thanks for having us, Jenny. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Oh, it's great. How does it feel to be back together in person? Fantastic. It's it, like, yeah. you know, oh, you know, when you have a friend um, and um, you're close and you haven't seen each other for five years or so. Is that right, Cheryl? Wow. I think, yeah, nearly five years. Yeah. 
And then you meet each other and it's like, oh, did I see you last week? Back into Maybe gear. Maybe not. Back into gear, <laughs> right? Slip right back into where we left off. So it's lovely. Well, that's how you know you've got such a strong friendship when it feels like no time has passed when you get back together. Exactly. Yeah, true. Yeah. And how did you two first meet? I'd love to hear all about that moment when you first kind of set eyes on each other and built this amazing friendship that you've got. I mean, the first time I saw Shirley was on Top of the Pops. You know, she was this sort of really cool chick sort of dance behind these like really fantastic pop stars. So you saw and her when she was in Wham? I, I, I saw her when she was in Wham, when DC Lee was the girl that was performing with her. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I looked at Top of the Pops and I think, you know, are those white boys rapping? I mean, where are they from? But who's the girl in the back? So I had noticed her. Um, and then the, the, the second time was after I had auditioned for Wham, I'd met Simon Napier-Bell, who was the a manager of the boys then. And um, I went to this audition and I was told that I would have to meet Shirley um, before anybody, because it was kind of her choice really, because we had yeah. to travel the world together for years and also <laughs> audition. So, um, the audition was for Capital Radio, best disco in town that used to happen on a Sunday. It was like a, it was like a kind of chart show, really. So anyway, um, met Shirley at Vin- Finsbury Park Station, got in the car and we just hit it off. It was just, we just could not stop talking. Shirley loves to chat and I was like, Oh my gosh, she loves to chat. And it, by her chatting and us talking and talking about what we loved in music, it sort of helped me relax, you know. And I also had a little demo tape with my voice that I wanted to play her. Again, it's all in the book, so you're going to have to read it. That's right. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm not giving too much away, but that was the first time I met Shirley at Finsbury Park Station. And Shirley, was it an instant connection for you as well? Yeah, I am a bit like that as a person. I can, can, I literally know very quickly if I've connected with someone and I feel comfortable with them. Um, some people feel really spiky you meet. Some people mm-hmm. you think they don't like me. There's, there's that energy that we exchange and obviously animals are so more tuned into it. But I'm quite sensitive to that. So I just met Pepsi. She sat in the car and I just really liked her. I mean, what... I just felt she was very laid back, very cool, very relaxed. Because I was quite hyper, quite a hyper person when I was younger. Mm. And she, I felt like quite a calming effect. She felt very grounded. And I like yeah. that. Because I think if she'd got in the car and screaming, and <laughs> I would have thought, oh, no. So, um, no, I think we're very compatible. And you balanced each other out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we still do. We still do, actually. We still and- kind of do that. And you're so right, because I think we all meet those people in life. I think as you get older as well, you have you kind of have less friends, but stronger connections with people. And it's amazing that you guys have stayed friends all this time. Um, so I also wanted to ask, you must have been asked so many times over the years to write a book and to put all your memories down. Why have you chosen now? And why do you think now is the right time to do it? Uh, I think, you know, I mean, obviously everyone's going to say this, but lockdown it is a massive it was, a, I mean, a massive sliding door moment, really, if yeah. you think about that you suddenly had to stop the world. The world stopped and you had to look around at what, what you are and where you've been and where you can't go and what you can't do. And 
it just made, it made me think about the younger people and what I had done when I was younger and how much I loved going out and how I went on tour of the world. And all of a sudden, people can't see their families. No one can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I literally saw my life differently because of lockdown. And made me realise how much I appreciated Pepsi and I really wish she had lived closer to me and thought, you know, Peps, we have done so much. We have been so lucky that, you know, this pandemic's really hit the young gen- younger generation. And I, it just, it was so reflective and, and just thought-provoking that, yeah, so Pepsi and I got together, but I couldn't really remember much, I've got to tell you. <laughs> Luckily, I've got hundreds and hundreds of old pictures everywhere and so did Pepsi. And we had a, a WhatsApp call and Pepsi was just had all on her table, all these pictures. And she's Amazing. going, do you remember this? And I've never seen this picture in like over, you know, nearly 40 years. So it's, it was like, oh, my God, that was me. I did that. And you're like, wow, we've, we've had an incredible life, Peps. We've experienced things that pe- some people will never, ever experience. Mm-hmm. So and that's definitely a book. <laughs> And we yeah. don't take enough time to appreciate all of that. And Pepsi, do you feel like as well, it was quite like a therapeutic um, experience for you? Oh my gosh, very emotional. Because the thing mm. is, what also inspired me to, you know, talk to Shirley about it and really put our memories on paper was the fact that I've been writing a book inspired by my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, who had travelled from St Lucia to England and built a life for themselves and, you know, their trials and tribulations, etc. So I'd already pulled out all these images, all these pictures, you know, of me growing up, me at five, you know, my mum and dad. And it sort of reminded me of when Shirley and I used to sort of be alone and she used to ask about my family and find out where we're, we're from. And it's like, you know, why did your family leave St. Lucia? Beautiful, yeah. sunny island, you know? And the thing is that, you know, her, her talking to her and also talking about the novel that I've been writing, you know, she really inspired me to sort of really put more color and, and depth into it. And by doing that, it was like, wow, there's also us, you know, and then there's pictures of me and then I had pictures of Shirley and I on tour and then pictures of me here and pictures of me there. And it was just obvious that it was, this was the time to actually write it. And the thing is with Shirley, she's very much a visual person, as she Mm -hmm. says. And when she saw some of the pictures that she had never seen, it was like her reaction was like, oh, my <laughs> God, where was that? Where was I? Was I there? Was I there? You know, so there was all these memories coming up. So within the book, it starts from our childhood. It's not mm-hmm. just about us on stage. It's our journey from our families through to this moment. So... I think it's a lovely book. I, oh. you know, I'm biased, but I think it, it touches upon the lives of two people who came from different areas of London who have evolved, yeah. you know, who have really evolved. We all evolve we, and we've allowed ourselves to evolve. So that's the beauty of this book. Yeah, and it's an incredible memoir. And we touched on it earlier, but Shirley, were you kind of, what were you like when you were younger? Did you always want to kind of get into the industry, performing? What, what was a young Shirley like? 
I was actually animal mad and dance mad. So, so I'm still uh, still the same, really. I, I, love, I love music, but I never was that ambitious. But I was very um, away with the fairies. Mm -hmm. I lived in my head. I wasn't kind of... Still is. Yeah, I still am. <laughs> I was never in the moment of others. I was always in my own moment. So that's all I can explain it as. So um, I was always organising festivals in my street and really? shows and then when I wasn't doing that I'd be with horses um and my dad I grew up my dad loved music so I kind of grew up on the Beatles rock and roll soul music I had older brothers and sisters so they influenced me with Bowie and and so much so yeah it's very much a part of what you're absorbing when you're so young but also having a fantasy in your head mm -hmm. so it always and school was very hard for me. School was a very hard time because I was a visual learner, had, did not learn how all the other kids learned. So I think when that happens to you, you do create your own world and your, your, your imagination is much stronger. And Pepsi, were you, I mean, you said before that you kind of balanced out shit and you were quite quiet. Were you like that when you were younger and did you kind of always have this passion to perform? The thing is, Shirley and I were very much the same when we were younger. It was all about imagination. Mm -hmm. I was very quiet. My sister used to say to me, what are you doing? You look like you blend in with the wallpaper. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I always sort of sit back and I was fascinated about watching people. And I always got a sense of who I liked, who I didn't like. And um, I had lots of ideas in my head, but I had no real outlet for that. So I used to sort of make up stories, um, be a bit of a day daydreamer, always being told off for looking out the window when I was at school. I was bored at school, but I was inspired by uh, a school teacher who, who said you should come into the art room. And I started to sort of make art and be creative and things like that. Music was always around. Mm -hmm. Due to my dad, who was always, he would just react. He would hear a song and his hips would sort of start moving and everything. And I used to remember watching him, watching, there was a show, this is before your time, Jenny, I think. There was a show called um, um, Sunday Night at the London Palladium. Yes. Okay. Yes, you remember? I, well, I yes, do. <laughs> and um, there were not, there was a, sometimes Shirley Bassey used to come on and he used to literally stop in his tracks and just watch Shirley Bassey. And I would watch him watching Shirley Bassey yeah. and I'd watch Shirley Bassey and hear her voice. And he was stunned by her. And I always used to think, I want to do that one day. I didn't know how I was going to do it, yeah. but I, it was like it, that just watching his reaction. It's like, I wanted to mesmerize people in, mm -hmm. in the same way, get on stage and create some magic. Mm -hmm. Well, you yeah. two were definitely meant to meet because I love how you both had such similar visions when you were younger and like you came together and brought that together. So that goes nicely into just talking about before we go into your moments, I'd love to ask you both about what your kind of ideals around the sliding doors theory are? Do you believe in fate? Do you think life is all about coincidence? Um, Shirley, I'll go to you first. What are kind of your theories around this? So they've changed, they change, you know, the older you get, the more obviously you're looking back at your life and you, mm -hmm. it's like the pattern you're seeing. So I've always believed in some kind of fate because I've always had a lot of premonitions. Yeah. 
Um, and sometimes you don't tell people about these premonitions because you sound absolutely crazy. <laughs> but I've seen people who I know I'm going to meet. I saw Andrew. I remember I knew I knew he was a boy from my school, but I was just driving through Bushy one day and I hadn't lived there for a year. And I saw him and all of a sudden I get this strange feeling like they're zoning in, like, oh, you're, you're going to be talking with him. It's just a sensation, very hard to explain. No, I, I get them too, so I understand. Yeah, I had it with Martin. I had it with two other girlfriends who are now my very close friends who had never met them, saw them walking past, and I just had that zoom feeling like... Um, but, you know, what I don't believe is that we control our fate. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, it's kind of pre-written, I think. Really? Um, yeah. And... As I've got older, in the 90s, I spent many, many years soul searching for something, some spirit, some connection, because I always was aware that there's something to be connected to. There's something that's giving me information. Yeah. Um, and the past two years, I've really got into Christianity. Mm-hmm. I've just, I don't, go, I don't go to church or anything like that, but I'm really connecting to this higher power that I know is there. And what it ultimately is asking us is to trust because we're actually not in control. And Mm -hmm. I think I always thought I had to be in control up until like a couple of years ago. I thought I've got to control everything. I've got to make things happen. But when you look at the most incredible things that happen in your life, you did not control them. Mm -hmm. They were going to happen. So um, I'm at that phase now where it's like, just trust just yeah. let go you are not going to control everything it will happen love that theory I love that we've never really had it put into that those words before and I love that it's like almost just a faith and a trust in the universe yes yeah. and that's the ultimate thing that every philosophy religion is is telling you mm-hmm. faith De- and trust definitely and, and Pepsi what about you well for me I'm 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 very much there as far, you know, with what Shirley's explained. I, I actually think as human beings, we really complicate things because really at the, at the core of everything is love. Yeah. You know, it's about really loving yourself, loving the environment, loving your family. If, if you know, we, we do certain things out of love, but sometimes it's not actually appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing of, of control, I think it's just the the nature of how we live at the moment. Everyone's a critic, everyone's in control. But the thing is, at the core of us all, all we want is peace and love. You know what I mean? This is my hippodome here. (laughs) All we want is peace and love. So over the years, I've learned to veer towards that and not make myself um, unhappy by making things complicated. I always aim to have an understanding and just relax and make things easy. But I've had to come to that point. And the thing is, the thing about sliding doors is that I always used to have lots of deja vu. Like I'd be on the the stage performing and it's like, I've done this before. You know what I mean? Yeah, even looking out into the audience, seeing a girl wave at me, watch George scoot to the left, Shirley staring at me, it's like, 
oh my gosh, I've actually been here, here before. So when Shirley says that we're not in control, I think it's about trying not to be in control, mm -hmm. really, like she says, this thing of like trust and let go. But I actually think that you get to there through life experiences. It's something that just doesn't come instantly. Mm -hmm. So for myself, I've had life experiences that have brought me to this place. I've had many sliding doors, many moments that have passed me by. What if I'd gone there? Maybe this, you know, and I've let go of that regret as well. So yeah. me talking to you, me having Shirley there, this was all meant to be, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I can only be grateful and happy for this moment. Because if I think about anything else, it's really hard. It it's really like is. really, really hard. You're right. And we don't want you to know? live with regrets. And you both no. make such great points as well that our theories around life and everything changes as you get older, as you experience different things. And all we can do is kind of uh, all that, you, as you both said, is just trust we're all on the path that we're meant to take. And I think that's what I really want kind of our listeners to understand by hearing all different stories from different people. And I think that puts us very nicely into going into talking about your sliding doors moment. So this is a first for sliding doors. We're going to get three moments from both of you. So two for the price of one. Um, so really excited to delve in some. So Pepsi, you're up first. And this is a really big one. So your first moment is joining Wham. So I don't think we can get bigger than this as a sliding doors moment. So I know that surely you went to school with George and Andrew, but do you want to explain Pepsi? How did you get into Wham? Well, I got into Wham. I mean, we were talking about trust and having an idea and a vision and a desire and everything. And I, I believe I was in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. I actually, from this day, I actually don't know who recommended me. Really? Job. I, do, I actually don't know. Again, in the book, it explains a lot as to what went on. So I want to I wanna leave that for your listeners and yeah. hopefully they'll delve in the book and find out. But um, my life changed with a phone call. Mm -hmm. You know, it changed with the phone call. And that phone call, I took in my stride because at that time, I, I actually didn't know how I was going to get to do what I really w wanted to do, my heart's desire. And it changed with the phone call. It was a phone call that was very simple. It was uncomplicated. I didn't share it with anybody. And I rocked up for an audition and I didn't know it was Wham. Yeah, I was gonna say, did you know it was Wham? Because you knew of them. I didn't know it was Wham. Oh my gosh. I didn't know it was Wham. I remembered Simon Napier-Bell actually just sent me this tape and it was like, just listen to this and come to the studio. And I, I, I just loved ad-libbing. And it was like, you know, I just rocked up to the studio. No airs and graces. I have to say, when I was younger, I'm really proud of the fact that I didn't really, I wasn't someone that sort of rose to the occasion, got dressed up and tried to convince yeah. you of my talent. It was like, look, Either you see it or you don't, either yeah. you hear it or you don't. So my feet were very firmly on the ground. So my life changed regarding Wham with a phone call. And Amazing. I didn't know how far that was going to take me, but I just went for it. And when was the moment that you did find out it was for Wham? Was that like after the audition or when you got the job? It was, it was at the audition. 
and I was told who the band were. And again, I still took it in my stride. I was like, oh, them. <laughs> the one Never boys, white boys that rap. It was like, <laughs> you know, who are they kind of thing? And, you know, and then he started talking about a tour and I was like, it, and, and I didn't really ask many questions. I mean, the tour could have been in anywhere, you know, yeah. it could have been anywhere in the world. But I was like, yes, yes. Obviously, just say yes. yes. Yeah. I just said yes. And when you got that phone call originally, um, was there a, like, what, were you in another job beforehand? Like, were you definitely going to go to that audition or was there ever a time you're a bit like, oh, I'm not sure if this is the right timing for me? I was going to go to the audition. Yeah. No matter what, I would have done anything to go to the audition. It's very rare to receive a phone call like this. And the thing is, you know, I did have a sense in my tummy. There was this kind of nervousness in my tummy and I was very, I wasn't weary of it. I wasn't worried about it. I didn't think it was some kind of, it felt very real. Yeah. And I had to take it very, very seriously. And do you ever think about um, what happens if you hadn't have received that phone call or what if you'd missed the phone call? And do you ever kind of think about the path of that life would have taken you? Um. I try not to. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but I, can I think understand I why. think I think things would have been much harder. You know, I was a a London girl living living in northwest London, trying to make my way through, didn't know how. So that phone call was an instant change. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I love the podcast because I like it when we can really reminisce and pick that one moment where everything changed. However, as you say, number one, what is meant to be will be, but number two, you know, they, what you gave is what they wanted. That talent was there. What was missing in the band was there. And you just took the opportunity from that phone call. So it's almost like, you know, opportunities can present themselves that we kind of have to put ourselves in those opportunities in order for them to flourish. But what I was, what the thing is, I was really proud of myself of was that I went in as myself. Yeah. Because later on, I went on to do theatre, where you have to kind of take on the 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 role of what you're up for. You know, you need to give something of a role mm -hmm. that you're up for. You have an audition. You're auditioning for it, but you have a sense of the the character. So you kind of turn up of your as yourself but you have to present yourself as a as possibility someone. for yeah. that role but in the early days I just turned up as me amazing you know what I mean and even talking about it now it's like I just feel so grateful to myself for being yeah. able to be like that a hundred percent and it's also it's so brilliant for us to be able to be our true selves and get something for that merit um, and I wanted to ask as well, I'm sure people ask this all the time. So before you started the band, was Pepsi your name? How did you get this name? You're going to have to read the book, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, you're giving us a lot of cliffhangers here. Okay, well, then you can tell us, did, did, you, did Pepsi come about when you joined Wham or was that kind of a nickname was when you were younger? All I'm going to say to you now is that I was, it's a nickname and it was given to me because... I needed sugar to keep dancing. That's all okay. I'm going to say to you. There we go. <laughs> Definitely have to go and read the book, everybody. Yes, There's lots do. of little secrets there. And then I guess just wanted to touch on as well. So in terms of being in Wham, I mean, is that probably one of the most treasured memories that you have and kind of that experience that you had with being in the band? Oh my gosh. Yes, that's one of them. 
I've got I've got quite a few treasured moments. Again, I've shared in the book. Um, yes, joining Wham that moment when I did the Capital Radio, looking at Shirley to my left, watching the boys do the thing their thing in front of me with the screaming girls is a moment I will never ever forget, and. Recently, you know, we were doing the audio book. We were reading the audio book, which was like, again, a privilege because you get to relive it again. And as I was reading that part, I was actually getting really excited. I was actually shaky, you know yeah. what I mean? Because I was kind of reliving that moment. So for me, that moment is one of many moments. But again, that's unforgettable. Yeah. A feeling that I will never forget. Yeah. Incredible. Oh, I'm very, very excited to find out why your name is Pepsi and read the book. Um, so mm-hmm. oh, Shirley, on to your <laughs> yeah. first moment. So going to the pub with my brother, I didn't want to go. So I've been really excited to chat about this because I mean, I think I know, but I don't really have any idea why you went to the pub, what happened at the pub. Um, so do you want to explain how this is a sliding doors moment for you? Yeah, so I had been living in Sussex when I, from the age of uh, 16 to 18, working with horses. And then I decided I needed a change, something I was starting to feel unhappy. And I thought, I think I've got to leave here. And I was living with a friend. She was very upset that I left. It was a big decision to make. But although it wasn't a decision that I saw anything that possibility could happen by me leaving, I didn't have any qualifications to do anything. But I just felt like I have to leave. I have to go. So I went back to live with my parents. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, why did I do this? What? Why did I make this decision? There's nothing here for me. I left home at 16. I wanted to get away. And it wasn't kind of a happy home for me. And then my brother saw that I was really low, just sitting in my bedroom. And he said to me, you need to come to the pub. And I thought, the pub? I don't <laughs> go to pubs. It was like an insult to me at the time. Because I just thought it was a full of old men going to the pub. And <laughs> like, this is my life forever. And, yeah. And I was thinking, this is not what I left Sussex for. I, I, I felt like there was something going to happen, like something more. Anyway, but I obviously thought nothing is going to happen. And then my brother was really pushing me to go to the pub. And in the end, I thought, okay, I'll come. And I kind of, I think maybe because I had a car, maybe that he wanted a lift. (laughs) (laughs) Designated driver. Yeah. And I didn't really drink anyway. So um, I got to the pub and I I was firstly surprised, like, oh, it's not full of old men, actually. There's lots of young people here. And I'm standing around having my Coca-Cola or Pepsi. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I just say to him, thinking I'm going to go home in a minute. So I say to him, I'm just going to go to the toilet. And I come out of the toilet and then I hear someone say, hello, Shirley. And I look over and it was the boy who used to go to my school who I'd previously seen about eight months ago in the street who I remember thinking, I will see him. And I I was like, hello. And I couldn't even think of his name. And I said, oh, how do you know my name? He said, oh, I remember you from school. You were the punky girl. You had all your ears and... So, yeah, so he'd obviously remembered me from school. So then we just started talking about music. And then all of a sudden I connected with someone really strongly and I felt happy again. I felt like someone had plugged me back in and and it was like, is that why I left Sussex? It was just trying to connect because I really had regretted leaving Sussex. 
because I there was no other work I could do apart from with horses. And there I was, like lost, absolutely lost. So yeah, I look back and think that one push that my brother pushing me to go to the pub. You know, I met Andrew, and then it was literally within a year that wham happened. I wasn't planning on being in a band or anything, yeah. but we used to go clubbing and dancing with George as well. And then it just happened organically. They said, oh, we've, we've got to promote this record we've made. Would you would you dance with us? And I was like, of course, yeah, sure. Took it all in my stride. Um, and thank, and I was a waitress. I suddenly, I got this job as a waitress. And then we were doing these PAs that were late at night and they kept asking if I could do evening shifts. And the manager called me in one day and he said, you know, you've got to make a decision. You either work harder in the restaurant and come get into management or you have to leave and go off dancing, whatever you're doing, dancing as a dancer. And it was just that, I just looked at him and said, I'm going to be the dancer. <laughs> I think that was the right decision. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was just very, became <sighs> clear. The picture started happening. That, that whole two, that, you know, reason I'd gone through this dreadful transition of pain thinking why did I let go of my horse life and this whole new life that I did not ever plan for did not think I want to be in a pop band but and it is that thing that you you know that preparation meets opportunity Mm -hmm. my love of music my dancing when I was younger then meeting George and Andrew us all clubbing and dancing I was ready made to go in that band because I was the girl who loved music and I was the girl who loved dancing and it just happened organically. It wasn't, we weren't put together by someone else. There was no manager. Mm-hmm. It was just us being in the moment, being spontaneous and saying, let's dance and let's act out to the music. And, and that formed the band. Amazing. What a goosebump moment. I mean, just thinking about you coming out of the toilet, I mean, you can kind of almost think what happens if you hadn't have gone to the pub on that night and I think yeah. when you think about what you believe in now you were meant to go to the pub that night your brother Absolutely. was meant to push yeah. you you were meant to and yeah I guess how what happened then after you'd kind of had that initial chat with Andrew and you said you kind of made that connection was it then just kind of as you say it just naturally all evolved and then how did you kind of meet up with George again uh well uh, we exchanged phone numbers because in those days you only had house phones and I had my car. And then Andrew was telling me he was in a band and I was going, oh my God, I love bands because I was always at live bands. Yeah. Just love live music. And he said, oh, you've got to come down and see us rehearse. And then I said, oh, I've got a car. And he was like, really? Wow, you are cool. Because <laughs> he was only like 17 or yeah, it must have been just nearly 18. He didn't drive. So then he said, oh, should we should go and pick George up and... George lived in Radley and I couldn't remember him. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember who he was. And then when I saw him, I thought, oh, I do remember you. But they were in the year below me. So okay. that's why as an older girl, I, you know, you never really spoke to the younger kids. Um, so then I went to pick George up. Then I went to see their rehearsal in the band that they were in called The Executive. Um, and they were great. Obviously, George was an incredible singer. I also had that um, goosebump when he sang, mm-hmm. like... that moment where I just knew I thought you're going to be a worldwide famous singer I've never heard a boy sing like that I've never heard a voice like that it was incredible so much passion and and soul in his voice and that gave me goosebumps and I remember thinking you're going to be a world but I never saw myself performing alongside him 
I definitely had a gut feeling that you're going to be a worldwide star, but no one knows it yet. And it's going to happen, but not yet. Wow. And actually, I grew up listening to George's music and I kind of loved it for what it was um, and never really understood what a lyrical genius he was until he died. And I think that, you know, even like Jesus to a child, like understanding what that song means um, and it, his lyrics just cut so deep and I hear new songs every now and again that I heard. And do you really feel like his memory lives on with all of those amazing songs that he wrote in his voice? Oh, that's his legacy without a doubt. And that's what he would want it. That was his life. His music was, was his food, was his love. And the ability that he had to write those lyrics to expose mm-hmm. his, you know, emotion was off the scale. I mean, ingenious, yeah. Absolutely. And I know you can, I mean, I also now really want to just be around you because you seem to have amazing premonitions about what's going to happen in people's <laughs> lives. So I'd love to know what you think, what you think is going to happen for me. But I think, you know, really thinking about if you hadn't have gone to the pub on that night, would you have kind of met Andrew, got back in touch with George, joined one, but you did say that you did see Andrew walking and you had this feeling. So do you really believe that you know, even if you'd not have gone to the pub that night, somehow you guys would have been brought together. Maybe, yeah, because I think certain people... So when I was younger, I always kind of saw like a path and I knew that certain people would come on it. Like, and that's the sensation I get, like, oh, that person will be on my path. But what if I hadn't gone to the toilet? Yeah. So always go, <laughs> if you want to go to the toilet anyway, make sure you go to the toilet. Yeah. Because that's what I think. What if I hadn't gone to the toilet? What if I said <laughs> to my brother, let's go home? Yeah. So... So it's all those kind of, but what I just love about looking back is that I didn't know they were going to happen. And mm-hmm. that's that's the journey of life. You shouldn't know what's going to happen. Exactly. A hundred percent. Oh, what a brilliant moment. And both of you, I, I can't wait to hear more about all of your Wham! stories <laughs> in the book. Um, so Pepsi, we're now going to go into your second moment. So it was playing the lead role of Josephine Baker on stage. So the show was directed by Maggie Norris um, and written by Maureen Chadwick. So this was the theatre show, Josephine, all about the life of the French singer, Josephine Baker. So how did you get this role and how did it change your life? Well, the show that I'd actually come off doing after, before doing Josephine was Hair. And it was a very liberating show to be in. It was an ensemble show that it wasn't a case of one star or the other, but we were all, it was like a, 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 a gathering of energy on the stage. I don't know if you know about Hair, yeah. but it, it, it was very controversial when it first came out. And um, one of the things that um, is required for the show, it's a very important moment, is that you, everybody disrobes. You take, everyone Mm -hmm. just takes their clothes off. You know, it's all about peace and love and freedom and all that beautiful stuff. So for me, it was a very liberating show. And and from that show, I got the bug. You know, I wanted to do theatre. It was, you know, after Shirley and... Pepsi and Shirley had disbanded and it was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do next? And you know, this thing of asking the universe and just let it play out. Again, it was a phone call. I just got a phone call. Go and see. You, you'll be great. And I didn't think very much of it and got that part. And then from that, when you're in a role, when you're in the flow, people notice you, they see you. And from what I understand, um, I'd done this other little musical in between Hare and um, Josephine and Maggie Norris had come to see that 
that that little show that I did. Um, I remember it being at Saddle, Saddler's World. And then she came to see me um, and she said, um, I'm doing this show about Josephine Baker. I'm going to contact your agent, blah, 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 this. And you just never really think anything of it, yeah. you know. And then next thing you know, I'm auditioning and I get, I get the role. But the thing with this role, it, wasn't an, it was an ensemble piece, but I was on the stage every single moment, changing costumes, sets, all the rest of it. I had a script that I had to learn from bottom to end. And in that, I had to do research about Josephine Baker. And doing that show, again, I learned about myself. You know, mm -hmm. I learned about what I was capable of doing. Um, I had a brain that I can actually take on lots of information. But there, there is a moment again in the book where I forget. That's all I'm going to say to yeah. you. And <laughs> playing her, what I gained from it was her, her activism and the idea of having creating an ideal world because she came from America where there was a lot of racism. And at the time she was actually the equivalent of Oprah. Really? You know? yeah. yeah. But she would leave France where she was this superstar. She can walk through the front door. But um, when she went back to America, she had to go to the back door because she was black. So it was a role that I learned about myself. I learned about a black woman Mm -hmm. who had done so much in the war effort. Um, and she had, a, she, she created lots of illusions for herself. She created a tribe. She actually adopted children from different nationalities. And she created this home where she had children from an, all these different nationalities. But she, her, despite her idea, her, her activism and her idealism, she was living this kind of kind of um, kind of airy fairy life. It wasn't kind of grounded. It was quite extraordinary. But her life, unfortunately, ended. She ended her life in Saint Tropez. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot about an, a, a black woman who had done so much, and I also learned about myself. And yeah. again, within the role. I had to wear the banana skirt and be topless. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I had lots of issues about my body. So it again, it was liberating. Yeah. You know, I, I was able to sort of let it all hang out again. Yeah. <laughs> from there. So it was very empowering. Very empowering. And it and it made me realize, you know what, Pepsi, if you put your mind to anything, you can do it. How you know. brilliant. And yeah. do you think it helped you kind of subsequently afterwards in terms of what you did and your confidence and the way that you felt about yourself? Do you really feel like that was a pivotal moment for you that actually, as you say, you learned so much that meant you went on and did other things? Yes. Yes. It meant that what, what it taught me was that if an opportunity arises, say yes, mm -hmm. always say yes, always say yes. And don't try and justify too much and make up excuses for you. If you're doing that, just don't do it at all. But mm -hmm. always say, always say yes. Um, it's, and for me, it's not about going in with blinkers on. It's about saying yes and doing a little research to understand 
what you're going into. It's not everything, but yeah. be, pre- be prepared. And I think you're right. Like I think saying yes to things, but also it's those small you can take one little thing away from an experience that actually, as you say, changes your life and makes you learn about yourself. And, you know, if you hadn't have played that role, you may have been a different person today. Yeah. And someone saw that in me. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't like, oh, Pepsi's done this. Let's let's put her in the role. They saw that I was capable. And it was like, that's something to be grateful for. And too. someone believing because, in you. And also you've got to remember that because there are times where you lose a little confidence mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, they chose me to do that role. It wasn't a case of they put me in that role for any other reason than they saw that I was capable, which Definitely. Makes me, gives me a lot of confidence. It does. And that's why, like, even just writing the book, as you say, I think we don't celebrate our successes enough. We're always running forward and forward. And actually, on those days where we don't have confidence in ourselves, you have to think back about the things you've achieved and the people that have believed in you because, you know, they're there and it doesn't happen all the time, but you know that someone did and that role was meant for you. So yeah. I love that moment. That was brilliant. Um, so Shirley moving on to your second moment so um, it's having a baby so uh, we know that you're married to the lovely Martin Kemp of Spandau Ballet you met him when you were in your 20s I know that George was a very big part of pushing you together so your firstborn is Harley Moon Um, so when during your career did you have a baby and how did this kind of decision change your life? Uh, So I started getting really broody um or when I was about 24, 25. So I I was diagnosed with endometriosis. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said to me, a lady doctor said, this may affect you having children. Well, that was like, what? As soon as you're told you can't have something. It's like, but I want... So I think that could put so much insecurity in me. Yeah. Thinking I may never have children. So I just became frantic about Oh, I really, I, I was someone who really wanted children. I always saw myself with children. Um, and this was a fate moment for mm-hmm. sure. So I wasn't getting pregnant. I was trying for quite a few years. I even tried like some fertility treatment. I was having um, other treatment with, with, with my gynecologist and, oh, it was just horrible. And as a female, it makes you feel really useless you're like this is something that as a young girl you've told to avoid and don't get pregnant don't get pregnant and then when you try and get pregnant it went on it felt like it was going on forever and everywhere you looked you see pregnant women in these and I'm this skinny girl all I wanted was to be big and fat with a big smock dress on (laughs) and just be waddling around putting my hand so I became very obsessive about it and Martin and I got married now this was we just decided to get married on our own in St Lucia ah. so that's because Pepsi had talked about it so much I was like Amazing. I've got to see this place went to St Lucia and didn't know what day we'd be getting married so I just ran down to the hotel reception and said do you do weddings when can I get married and they Amazing. said 14th of um, November I had that feeling 14th of November and I remember I was doing a thermometer, a temperature chart to try and get pregnant because your temperature changes every month. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I'm sure that's the day that my temperature changes. So we get married on the 14th and literally I'm pregnant a month later. Oh my God. And it felt as though, I remember when we got married, 
the lady who married us said to, said to us, I bless the children you have. And I remember having this twinge thinking, if we have them. Yeah. And then I, I, I used to go cold after. I kept thinking of her saying to me, bless the children you have. And that was such a fake moment because we didn't plan before. We'd, not until we got there. They gave me the date. I remembered that's the same day my temperature is at its peak. Yeah. And I, I got pregnant. And then it was like everything I'd wanted. I'd got married and I, I was pregnant. And it was such a moment that was out of my control. It is out of your control. And I feel very sad when I, you know, know so many women who are trying to get pregnant. And I know doctors say to them, you just got to relax, let it happen. And the more tense you get, the worse yeah. it is for you. But I think, sadly, it is a lot to do with, with fate. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to happen, it will happen for you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was, for me, when I look in my life, one of the most incredible things that happened was getting pregnant on my on the day I got married, because I felt that was a day when, I don't know, yeah. you know why, why that day? Amazing. And do you think it was kind of a nod? Did you take it as a nod from the universe that this is how and why things are meant to be? Definitely. It made me realise that was a plan. That was not, I didn't plan that. Yeah. That, it felt such a higher power sorting it all out for me. And I but, was like, hallelujah, thank goodness! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to tell Pepsi anymore. <laughs> I want a baby. Oh, amazing. I was like, you know, and the thing is, I just don't, there's there's a lot of people that don't appreciate that children are miracles. A hundred You know, I, I tried to have a baby on very many occasions and unfortunately I had miscarriages and it, it's it's the most awful thing. And you have to make a decision, you know, how your the course of your life is mm-hmm. going to be. So for Shirley getting pregnant, it's like, She's done it for us. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's, so, it's so beautiful. And I guess what what moment in your career was that when you got pregnant? Like, were you in the height of Shirley and Pepsi at this point? Yes. But I actually did, was kind of like, thought I was Mother Earth and I could have a baby and just take the baby everywhere. But then I realised the environment for the baby wasn't right. And then my husband would also be on tour in another part of the world and I needed to get to see him with the baby and I had to face Pepsi and tell her that I didn't think I could do this anymore so yeah it was it was a big moment it was a big change in my life and Pepsi do you kind of think again you just knew that this was like what was meant to be for both of you and it was just oh Shirley Shirley had to be a mother yeah. Had to be, had to be. We'd gone through too much. I'd seen her in so much pain. Having endometriosis um, is one of the most awful things that can happen to any woman. You know, um, having a baby, having wanting to have a baby is one thing. It's just the pain that comes with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being on tour and watching Shirley just go through the agony month after month. And it's like I had no words. All I could do was just be with her and rub her back, you know. And sometimes it was like, just leave me. I just, I can't have anyone touch me. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it, I mean, I just, I just found it so hard to watch her going through it. So her dream came true and she's got beautiful kids. She's married. I mean, my goodness me. I mean, talk about, yes, meant to be, yeah. definitely meant to be. And it's lovely what you say, because I think both of you have such a great outlook on life of like, 
what is meant to happen is meant to happen for you. And, you know, I go through a lot of those feelings at the moment, being in your mid to late thirties when you don't have children, are you meant to, are you not? And actually you do have to just sometimes believe that the universe will give you what you need when you need it. Um, and I'm guessing that kind of Shirley's children are just like your children. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I see them. I mean, yesterday we were, we were, um, in Kings Road with Harley, who's just absolutely adorable. And, um, you know, Harley and I, we sit there and we giggle and we laugh and, you know, she shares her heart and I just give her a little bit of encouragement and all the rest of it. And I just look at her with joy. You know, I had her in my arms. She was this like yeah. baby, do you know what I mean? So How it's beautiful. lovely, really, really lovely. Oh, really that's so lovely. lovely. And Shirley, I just, I love all of these things that you're unraveling about these moments that just happen for you when they're meant to. So what an amazing story of fate that is for your lovely daughter Harley um so Pepsi moving on to your last moment so it's moving and living in New Zealand for two and a half years so I'm very lucky enough to have traveled around the North Island of New Zealand and it's just my favorite place in the world um so what kind of what made you go and live there and why was this such a kind of big moment in your life well um I had been doing lots of theater like regional touring, doing a bit of West End stuff. And, and um, in fact, I was actually, uh, I, was give, I was given a role in The Lion King and I didn't want mm. to do it. I actually, there was something about it I didn't want to do. No, in fact, that's, that's a fear, but I do know why I wanted to do it. Like my mother had kind of just passed away mm-hmm. and I just didn't want to stay where I was. I needed to sort of get up, pack yeah. a bag and and then, you know, move on. So it was like really a bit of a, an escape, really. And um, within myself, I was actually not very happy. I wasn't happy doing theatre. It was like being in a hamster wheel, the auditioning, getting the role. I enjoyed the, the actual experience of, you know, the rehearsals. But once the, the, the show went up, every night going into the theatre, the audience were there. They would change every evening, which would really help me. But there was just something within myself. I really would, I kind of lost the joy of it. Yeah. And I remember being in a hotel in Newcastle and I called on the universe. Mm-hmm. And I said within myself... No, in fact, it wasn't within myself. Out loud, I want to know what love is. I now I'm ready to know what love is. I want the universe to show me what love is. You know, I really wanted to feel it, embrace it, feel it, smell it, everything. I want everything about it because, you know, it was something that my mother left me. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she left me true love and still is true love. And um, uh, and then um, we had a show in Norwich. Um, cut a long story short, I, I met my husband, and we connected. Um, talking about the world, you yeah. know, um, a world that I travelled with Shirley and Wham, but didn't see. We just went from auditorium to auditorium, show to show, but we didn't go to museums. We didn't go to the zoo. We didn't do any of that stuff. Yeah. And um, it was just about being like gypsies on the road. We didn't see anything. So talking to James and his, his aspiration to go to New Zealand, um, my show was coming to an end. 
I had six months to go and he he had to go like and and be there for like three months. And I thought, you know what, after this show, I want to change my life. I really want to change my life. And um, I think I want to go to New Zealand. I want to go and see New Zealand. And I actually had a friend in Australia who I'd done hair with that I wanted to go and see as well. But um, I'm coming with you, I said. (laughs) (laughs) And then I made plans, did the show, and I went to New Zealand. And it was the most refreshing, grounding place. Had the holiday in New Zealand, came back, and we went back again to live because he he'd got a job out there. Amazing. And New Zealand is the most extraordinary place. Very spiritual, Mm -hmm. very grounding, um, steeped in the Maori tradition, which I got into. A lot of people thought I was Maori for some reason, you know. Um, And we traveled the island. It was very earthy. And we, James and I, we solidified our relationship there. You know, Amazing. and we created our dreams there. We had dreams and aspirations. So there were things we wanted to do and we created that, um, you know, through talking, our heart's desire, our love. And um, from then on, that's when a new phase of my life actually be- begun. So New Zealand is very a place where and again the awful thing is is that that's where I had one of the worst miscarriages there and that again was a telltale sign that there was time it was now time for change to think and be be different so incredible very special yeah and do you feel like as you say it was really the place that kind of solidified that relationship and connection with your husband and you know it took all that love of travel that you spoke about but actually like you experienced it together yes absolutely we were in a new place experiencing a new country and culture and there was lots of nature lots of walks lots of scenery like lots of hillside like in Wellington, you know, you're walking down the, the, the high street and either side of you are mountains, you know, yeah. like oh, it's, it's, you're, it's like you're walking in an armchair. Do you, do you yeah. know what I mean? So it and a very spiritual place, very steeped in tradition. And I love that because I think as you say, we can just feel that these phases in our lives happen for a reason. And we can feel that, you know, this was meant to happen because I was meant to then go into the next phase of my life. And for anyone that hasn't been to New Zealand, you have to go because it's when you can, it's the most beautiful place. Um, So we're on to our last moment now with Shirley. So yours is a really kind of hard one as well. So it was when Martin had his brain tumours. So this happened when Martin was really young and I can't really imagine what you went through together. But um, do you kind of remember the moment that you kind of found out and how this changed and just affected your whole lives? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because what was the most difficult thing about this and it's that... um, moment when you realize I'm not in control mm-hmm. was Martin was well he was healthy he was going to the gym he looked fantastic he's in his young you know early 30s and he just I just kept touching his head saying your head feels like it's got a lump at the top and but he didn't have any problems so he went to a doctor they didn't say anything then it felt like it was getting bigger so he went back to the doctor said you know what we'll just do a scan an MRI just to check but they didn't think it was anything they thought it could be calcium where the bone was deforming and then he called me 
uh, from the doctors from the MRI and said, I've got a brain tumour. Wow. And I, everything just stood still. And I'm like, where, where has this come from? This, this can't be right. This is not the person I wanted to marry and have children with. No, this can't happen to him. Because I, I felt like I'd made this promise that I'd marry him and I'd have the children. And then he said, the worst thing is I've got two brain tumours. And then you literally leave the planet because oh you're, God. you can't take it in. You can't. You, you're in shock, and I think that's what yeah. shock does to you. When you go into shock, you literally do leave the planet. Um, and I remember I, I, that overwhelming feeling. I was angry with God. And it's funny because I was brought up atheist, so at this point I was still very, you know, searching for yeah. something missing. But I remember feeling very angry with God and thinking, why would you do that? I, I've done everything that I should have done. And I've never been to a church, and there was a church in the hospital. And, and and I went into the church and I just was on my knees sobbing in this church saying, please, I will do anything. What have I? And it was a feeling of guilt. Have I done something wrong? Have we done something wrong? And it, and it was trying to understand because you can't find an answer for it. Whereas most things in life, you find the answer. Yeah. Um. So for me, this brought a lot more gratitude for what, for what good health is it brought me gratitude for realizing life isn't all about me or whatever I've done life is about surviving and being healthy and I kind of spent it opened me so the good the plus side to it was that it opened my compassionate side up my empathy with with others who were going through because really when you kind of lived a life like we had it's all about what you know what are you doing what's your music doing and it's so small and then suddenly you're in a ward where all these other people have got brain tumors from children to young people. For me, it taught me the fragility of life. It taught me to appreciate things so much more. Don't waste your time arguing. It, it, yeah, I mean, it was just like someone pulling the rug from beneath me, but it opened my eyes. It was a moment to say, wow, yeah, this, you're, you better open your eyes to what you could lose. Mm-hmm. I spent the whole of the 90s on a very big spiritual quest. Really? I did everything, everything, yeah. shamanism, Reiki. I did healing for others. I became a blood donor because I thought people need blood. I didn't even think about that people need blood. Yeah, Martin we don't. Blood. Yeah. No, until someone you love needed something. It was like, oh, I'd give anything to help others now. So my moment of the, when my husband got really sick, it opened my eyes to that other people are suffering as well as you are. And it's not to be a victim of it, but it's to survive it and to get through it. And, and you know, maybe reevaluate everything that yeah. you took as, that was important. And, and that's what it did. It literally shifted everything around for me. Definitely. And like, I, I think you make a brilliant point that, you know, out of the lowest times in our lives, sometimes it can shift our whole life perspective. Absolutely. And, you know, if you really drill it down, think about you may have saved a life by giving blood then and like all of these yeah. things. And actually is, is I, I take it, it is, but is kind of the spiritual side of you like a big part of your life now that you may not have had if that had never happened? I think so. I think I was always felt there was something out there, but that path, I mean, even though it's not a path that I take now, I mean, I read every self-help book, every, every way to find a way to get someone well, but what it did 
it's it made me aware of our subconscious living what our mm-hmm. subconscious thoughts are because they are actually the things that are in control of our minds and yeah. it's not that our minds are in control but you've got to be very very careful of what your subconscious is doing and that's what it made me aware of and the thing is with that you know because you know, with Buddhism, because I'm a Buddhist, the thing is with Buddhism, one of the things one needs to be careful of is thought, word, and deed. Mm-hmm. So how you think, how your thoughts and the deeds Absolutely. that you do actually are really important. So you've got to be careful what you're thinking about. Yeah. You know, you've got to be careful as to, to the action that you take. And the thing about suffering is that suffering is an opportunity for change. So some people stay in their suffering. They stay in their suffering so much that it becomes part of them, but it's not truly who they are. So when you're having a bad time, it's the opportunity for change. So if you think of it like that, if you really, really think of it like that, there's freedom in that too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's an actual, wow, I'm suffering now. This is an opportunity for me to change this situation. So, you know, through the pandemic, I've had like friends who have been like really depressed and down and, you know, you know, understandable, their lives are changing. So, you know, I've talked to them and it's like, okay, now is the time to do things differently. Mm-hmm. Not how you did it before, yep. but an opportunity to do it differently. And it could just be one very small action, one very small thought one very small deed for somebody else and it can transform everything. Well, I think a lot of people are very scared of change, but being an Aries girl, um, I'm always first to run out of, you know, change a situation. I oh, love yes. change. Oh, yes. I've never been afraid <laughs> of embracing change and I'm always shocked when I talk to people and they're still doing the same thing, still the same moaning, same complaints. And I, I'm just frozen by that. I'm like, well, why just, if, it, if it's not good, life's too short to be doing things you don't want to do and live it. I mean, that's my the biggest thing I said to my children. Do not live this life doing anything you don't want to do mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it doesn't serve you. It doesn't, it's not where you're going to blossom. So always find stuff you love doing. Oh, Pepsi and Shirley, I could speak to you guys for hours. I just love your whole outlook on life. I think you've brought up so many brilliant points with all the stories and experiences that you've had that are so important to people and important for us to kind of really take a step back and remember. And as I said, I'd love to spend more time with you to learning all about the spiritualized stuff, but I'm going to read your book and everyone should read your book and hear all about the brilliant stories um, that you guys have to share. And really, thank you so much for sharing them with us today on the podcast. Thank, thank you, Jenny. You. It's been and Jenny, really I'll lovely. say to you, you're very sparkly. Oh, thank you very yes, much. A lot of sparkle. Energy. Yeah. Thank good. you very much, both. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share, and subscribe. Thank you so much. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.